Good morning, everybody. If you can do me a favor and flip your Bibles open to Luke 22. I know it's Christmas and I'm doing Luke 22 instead of 2 and you're wondering what's going on. And put your finger right at verse 39. So Luke 22, verse 39. And we'll get there in just a moment. But first, I, I have show and tell this morning. So it's not that exciting. Some of you all might be very concerned at first. Don't worry. It's, it's not what you... I mean, it is what you think, but not in the way that it's going to look. But anyways, um, I brought this with me. Get a good little... There we go. Uh, I'm going to assume everybody here knows what this is. It's a, did somebody say a maraca? I mean, yes. I mean, what is this item literally? Not what I just did with it, but what is it literally? It's a, yeah, it's a medicine bottle. Um, and given the fact that I'm a fairly average millennial in 2023, I'll give you like three guesses as to what's in here. Hair product. It's not hair product. So, uh, this, is Garrett here? Garrett is here. I'll, I'll pop quiz Garrett here. I don't expect you to know this, but this is a fun, this is a fun little substance called Alprazolam. Garrett, here's your pop quiz. Do you know what the brand name is for this? Xanax. That's why I said, calm down. The preacher brought his Xanax, but it's fine. It's, it's not because of you all. Uh, this uh, is, is Xanax, in case you don't know what that is. I'm going to assume you all do, but in case you don't, here's, here's the uh, instructions on this. Take half to one of these tablets by mouth as needed for panic attacks. So that's what Alprazolam does. It's a uh, very, very fast-acting sort of pull-in-case-of-emergency kind of medicine so it's not meant to be taken regularly. It's just a, if you are spiraling and you need help to coax yourself down from a high amount of adrenaline and panic, this just helps relax you. And that's all it's meant for. And, uh, and for my family members or anybody who's heard this story like a million times, I'm sorry, you're going to hear it one more time. Uh, just because it's, it's weird. Um, and none of this is to be like, oh, hey, look at me, good for me. Or, oh, hey, poor Nathan, because he has alprazolam like everybody else his age. Uh, the point is, I promise, there's a point whenever we get to the end of all this. So in uh, 2020, whenever the entire world decided to stop, and we were all told to stay home for a while, Considering there was literally nothing else to do with my time, I had decided for the last several years uh, I had been complaining about how heavy I had gotten uh, because I, from the time that uh, Katie and I, because you know, psychologically, whenever you feel secure in a relationship, people get to tend to be what you call fat and happy. You feel secure, so things just let go. <laughs> And uh, I had gained somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60, 65 pounds in a very short period of time. 
and uh, I just wanted to be a healthier person, and Katie was tired of hearing me complain about it. I was tired of hearing myself complain about it, so while we were all stuck at home, I just decided to, decided, decided to start uh, exercising like a whole host of people did. And uh, somewhere in all of this process, I decided to go have a BMI done, and I don't keep either the little... Some of y'all have like haunting memories of high school, I'm sure, of the old little like fat pincher thing they used to have. Those things don't really work. Uh, and so now they have... We have technology. So I went to a store that has a more advanced one where you get... The, you feel really weird and you feel ridiculous because they make you take off your shoes like you're trying to get on an airplane and hold these little handlebars way out here and it does things. And they're, not, they're still not super accurate to this day, but the whole point is it's kind of helpful because body weight is not necessarily the best metric for your health because I don't know if you know this, your bones weigh a lot. So it's super helpful to know how much of your body, if you're trying to be a healthier person, is bone weight versus muscle weight versus everything else. And I have a very heavy skeleton. It turns out. I've discovered that. Well, obviously, I'm at a store, and these guys, they're sales reps. So they need to pitch their random health products, their protein bars, and their whey powder, and what have you. And so I let the guy give me his whole spiel. I, you know, I was wanting to be polite and not just waste his time on just doing the thing that was no charge and whatever else. So I bought a couple of, like, protein bars and whatever, you know, so he could put them on his sales tab for the day. But I didn't buy a whole bunch of the extra stuff. But he, being a salesperson, gave me free samples. And I tried a couple of them, didn't really like them, wound up scooping most of them in the trash. But there was one that I was under the assumption was like a super B12. And in fitness language, that just helps your metabolism. B vitamins are what help your metabolism. And since that's what I was wanting to kick into high gear, I figured, hey, I'll try it. Now, my old Saturday morning ritual used to be I would wake up, and make an entire pot of coffee and then slowly work my way through it throughout the entire day. That's what I would do. And uh, on a normal Saturday, I was, you know, drinking through my pot of coffee, saw these little B12 things that I thought were B12 things, and I was like, you know what, I'll try it and see what's what. And so I tried them and moved on with my day, and somewhere around five-ish hours later, I started to feel weird. Very weird. Things were not all right. I don't know what was going on, but things were not all right. And so I tried everything you could think of to make myself feel a little bit better. And quite literally nothing worked. And so finally, I just decided to tell Katie, I feel really off right now. I don't feel bad. I don't know what's going on, but I feel weird. And so she asked me what I had done for the day. And I said, I did this, I did this. I took the metabolism pills. And she was like, the what? The metabolism pills. She goes, those are... I don't think those were metabolism pills. I said, well, what are they? She said, I thought they were energy pills. And I was like... No, they're metabolism pills. And so we run upstairs. I reach into the garbage can and pull out the wrapper. And it says metabolism. And then right under that, an even larger font that I somehow missed, it said plus energy. I thought, oh, great. And I flip the wrapper over. And this bad boy is full of all kinds of uppers. And I had been slamming I don't know how many milligrams of caffeine on top of it with my normal pot of coffee. And so realizing what had happened, I decided the next logical conclusion is let's get this stuff out. Yeah. 
So I start pounding a lot of water. And when that still wasn't working, because I could feel the, the tingles, the, like the hyper jitters getting worse, I decided I'm going to go for a walk and pound water, because it's like 98 degrees right now. Because this was in the middle of June. It was hot. And so I go outside, and I start walking really, really fast, and I'm like sweating like crazy, and I feel mildly better from the jitters because I'm doing something. And then as I'm on my way back home thinking, all right, this might have worked, I get this random just cold shock that went from the base of my spine all the way up to the back of my head. And I just randomly had this feeling of impending doom. And the moment that happened, I just kind of like did this and felt my heart rate was normal and was like, I know what's happening right now. Because whenever I was younger and much, much stupider, I had fooled around with something that we shall leave unnamed and was had a about 45 minute long panic attack as a result of it and never did that ever again because I learned my lesson and the, so the moment I felt that cold shock run all the way through my spine I knew exactly what was happening and I said I'm having a panic attack right now and I felt calm knowing what was happening but just like even in my total calmness I felt like out of nowhere I was going to die, like somehow a bus was going to like just materialize from the air and hit me or something. So I knew I was having a panic attack. I thought, okay, I'll just go home and ride this out because I've had one of these before. This will go away before too long. And about an hour and a half went by and it had not gone away. Things were still ramping up. And uh, it was very unnerving for my wife, who had never seen a panic attack before, because I'm having a very calm, reasonable conversation with her while bawling my eyes out, going, no, I'm fine. I know I'm fine. And I'm just like, just, because my body is involuntarily reacting. It was very strange. It was the weirdest conversation I've ever had with my wife. And we've had weird conversations. And... Uh, and after around the two-hour mark and things still didn't happen, we called up a friend of ours who's a fantastic nurse. And she said, is your heart rate normal? I said, yeah. She goes, unfortunately, if you go to the ER, they're going to charge you $4,000 just to give you a whole lot of IV. So just your best to just sit home and ride it out. I thought, okay, how much longer could this possibly last? And around the four-hour mark is when I got real nervous, so I called Garrett. <laughs> So I was like, we're going we're gonna to go the next level up here. And he asked me a whole handful of questions, questions that I recognized as being heart cardio questions because I'd been asked them before whenever I had nerve damage through here in high school. Uh, and this arm started to go numb for no apparent reason. So I recognized the questions as, oh, these are heart attack questions. And whenever I answered all of them no, he told me the same thing, which was, if you go, which you can, they're just going to charge you a lot of money to flush this out of your system. And you can do that at home. So you're going to have to ride it out. <laughs> and so I continued to ride it out for another two, two and a half hours. And so I had a six and a half-ish long panic attack that did not stop. And then for the next week, this whole side of my body just hurt. And... The fun part was that was just the gift that kept on giving <laughs> because for the next six to seven months, I would keep having them. 
uh, not that long or anywhere near that intense. All of them from there on in were very normal. Of just you randomly feel worked up and frightened out of nowhere and then it passes. And because it kept prominently happening, I went and talked to my doctor. Uh, and I figured it's time to go talk to the doctor because at some point, you know, when, when you're a full-grown adult man and you're sitting on the shower floor crying because you can't stop having existential panic every day and wondering if this is what life is going to be like because I'm not even 30 yet, so hopefully there's a whole lot of life ahead of me. Something's got to change because this is not sustainable. And so I go and talk to my doctor and he said, well, here's good news, bad news. Bad news is you're definitely an anxious person. There's no denying that because I was trying really hard to deny it. Um, he said, the good news is I don't think you need chemical stabilization or anything like that. We're just going to give you these. And on the off chance you can't calm down because it seems like you are getting better, use one of these. And then after that, it uh, turns out six to seven months of consecutive panic attacks is not good on your innards. I now get to take daily stomach medication. That's fun. Uh, and then out of nowhere, this last year, uh, which I've known I've had allergies my whole life, my body decided it's time to take the little allergy dial and ramp it way up because I've had problem breathings, problems breathing through my nose and all that jazz and all that fun time. And uh, finally I go to the allergist and they do the thing where they like to do the little plastic pokies and they give you the little sample of everything ever you could be allergic to. And so I'm just sitting there, and she goes, you might feel kind of tingly, just don't scratch it no matter what you do. And so she leaves for about 15 minutes, and things kind of tingle, but nothing's real bad. You know? And then she walks back in, she goes, you itchy? I said, no, nothing too bad. And she goes, oh, wow. I'm saying, yes, because I can't see what's going on back there. It just tingles. And she goes, well, I think we found your problem. I was like, oh, well, what is it? She goes, there's a lot of bumps back here. And uh, turns and so it turns out that um, I'm not really allergic to any foods or anything like that. But the fun part is, whenever we got to the list of plants, uh, she just kept naming off plants that I'm apparently allergic to. So it's like every plant that grows in Missouri is trying to kill me, apparently. Or it's it's they're plants. They're doing their plant thing. My body thinks they're trying to kill me, but they're just doing plant things. So that's fun. That's really awesome. That's how my last few years have gone. Uh, but all at the same time, there's been a lot of good things in those years. And like I said, this is not a pity me party. This is just me saying there's, there is a point to all this. And uh, I, for most of my life, uh, have been a relatively even keel, deadpan, calm person. Like it takes a lot to get me over the emotional edge, but whenever I finally get over that little event horizon, it's usually pretty bad. I'm in a lot of distress. If we have finally poked Nathan too far, it's way too far because I hold a lot in until it finally kind of booms out. And um, so usually the, one of the number one things people will say about me is just normally that I'm very calm. Most things just roll right off of me. Uh, so that's been a very big adjustment in my life. And uh, it has taught me a lot about the concept of peace. And at some point while dealing with all of this, 
I, this passage popped into my mind here of Luke chapter 22. And um, it was a spirit thing because I don't know why I thought of it. I think the Holy Spirit just popped it into my head one day. So now we're going to read this at chapter 22, verse 39. And it says, and this is talking about Jesus. This is just after the Last Supper where he has just told them all for the last time that he's going away. And they finally get it. Oh, he means he's going away. They still don't know fully what that looks like, but they know he's leaving them for some reason. And he says, it's actually better that I leave you than stick around. And so he goes off by himself and he brings just, um, and he brings the inner three actually into the garden with him. Um, And he was usually at the the Garden of Gethsemane. This was his sort of private retreat place that he went to to pray often. And we see it on and off throughout the other Gospels that he'll come here and pray. So verse 39 says this, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. And he withdrew with them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and prayed. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven. Strengthening him. And being in great agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from their sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And that's a incredibly interesting. We get a much longer version of this in the Gospel of John, which we'll get to later. But it's this incredibly intimate and interesting little snippet that we see of, of Jesus here. And it's a much... This is, aside from the crucifixion itself, this is the most vulnerable depiction that we see of Jesus throughout the entirety of the Gospels. Because throughout his entire career up to this point... Everything just seems to slide right off him. It's like water and oil. Every time somebody tries to trap him, he has an answer. And a lot of times he likes to ask another question on top of their question. And it's this really interesting little checkmate thing that he does where he just completely pulls a different passage out of the law around on them and shows them what God was really talking about. He just... You can't ever seem to to trap the guy. And every time a mob forms around him, he always somehow seems to just pass through them. Whenever a mob is trying to capture him, he can just walk right out of the mob. And suddenly he's in this place where he's deeply, deeply affected by something, it seems. And in a very interesting way. Because the passage says that he was in so much agony... That his sweat was like great drops of blood. And there's, there's two different ways to interpret that. Um, one is that his, he began to sweat so much that his actual sweat particle, like the actual sweat drops, he, like he was just 
sweating so much from the sheer stress that his drops were that heavy and falling to the ground with a thud, almost like when you bleed and it hits something and it makes that like noise because blood is thick. And so his sweat was literally that heavy. And then some people interpret this as meaning that there's actually, and it's incredibly odd, some people believe that it's this really, really rare medical thing that happens where whenever you actually enter into so much stress that little things break under your skin, little tiny veins break, and it actually seeps into your pores. And so then you start sweating and it starts turning out pink and red from small amounts of blood actually getting into your pores from being so stressed. Either way, uh, I would say, yes, Jesus being in agony is a very uh, apt description of what's happening here. And... There's a few different interpretations as to why he might be in agony, but all at the same time, we'll leave those aside. We all know what's coming. If we've read the Gospels, we know what's coming. And so regardless of what his motivations or his thoughts were in saying, remove this cup from me, it's, that's a pretty understandable cup to say, hey, can we not? Can we, just, can we just not? And I know you've had those conversations with God. Or am I like the only crazy person who talks out loud to God? And it's like, no. And he disagrees. <laughs> and usually he wins. Somehow, some way. It might not be the day that you disagree with him, but somehow he'll win. It, it circles back. And he's just asking, can you take this cup away from me? Because the, uh, the worst form of torture it devised by human beings on the planet seems to be a good thing to ask God, hey, can we not? And God's response is very interesting. Because it just says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. Which we'll get to, that's also an interesting little one-off line we don't see in some of the other gospels, but... um, If you're more curious about that, just stick around for a few weeks because at some point here in the early 2024, we might, uh, as it comes up in John, divert for a couple weeks from the main narrative of John to talk to you all a little bit more about spiritual beings like demons and angels and things like that. So just keep that little nugget in your head. If you're wondering there, we'll get to that a little bit later. And then Jesus' response to this angel strengthening him is even more interesting because it just says he prayed even more earnestly. And it doesn't tell us in this, at least in this gospel, how he prayed more earnestly. Did he keep praying to take the cup away, if you will? I think Jesus probably knew what God's response was when the angel came to strengthen him. So I would imagine at this point, this prayer looks a little bit different. That's speculation on my part that's not the word of God. But I would imagine when Jesus says, take this away from me and God doesn't, and suddenly an angel appears to give him strength, I think Jesus knew what the response was. And his prayers probably shifted a little. And all of this becomes even more interesting and complex because just we don't see it in the Gospel of Luke, but we will in just a little bit when we return to the Gospel of John. Uh, Because the passage that the Newtons just read is what Jesus just got done talking to the disciples about at this point. Right before the supper ends and he comes to the garden, he was just telling them, um, 
I'm going to leave you with peace. And it's not going to be a kind of peace that the world gives you. It's my peace. And he's very careful to say my peace, not the world's, mine. And he doesn't say what that is. He just says, but it's my peace and you'll have it. And like we just sang, he would later, this is the Messiah, somebody who was given the title, the Prince of Peace. So that makes sense that he would tell them, I'm going to give you peace. And suddenly the Prince of Peace is now in a garden praying in so much agony and stress that he might potentially be sweating drops of blood. So what exactly do we do with that? I would be willing to wager that it might have something to do with there's a problem with our idea of peace. And maybe it's not a problem with our idea. Maybe there's just too many ideas that we could possibly throw into the word peace. And it's probably the same for the Jews at the time. They had gone through a number of expulsions from the promised land and then brought back. And every single time they were brought back, it seems like the oppression got worse. And now they're having to like share the land with a bunch of Gentiles and a bunch of race traders up in Samaria. And the Messiah came and he's not bringing like peace. Like we would think we're going to take all of the promised land back and he's going to be a warrior king and he's going to conquer and we're going to have peace. Like that kind of peace. Like there will be a peace treaty and you all stay over there and we finally get the promised land and God's going to give us everything he told us. And that's not what Jesus shows up to do. He doesn't show up to conquest. And so then you'd be like, well, maybe then it's like a, like, a, like a tranquility. Like maybe there's sort of like an ideological peace here. Like things will finally calm down a bit. And I don't know if, if you've read the rest of the Gospels, things don't calm down from here. They ramp up quite a bit. And then it just keeps ramping throughout all of Acts. Things don't get calm. And so if the peace of the Messiah, if the peace of Jesus isn't, a geopolitical peace where suddenly the world stops fighting and it's not a calm and tranquil peace because the Prince of Peace is in so much stress that he's in agony that what exactly is this peace that he's promising? And if we continue in the gospel we'll find that Jesus is publicly executed which he claims is to take on the sin of the world onto himself. And then he resurrects. And he tells his disciples that I will be with you always before ascending. Which is an interesting way to end the story. It's like the hero comes back to life and then he, he's like, deuces guys, you've got this. Wait here, you'll see. And then he just leaves. <laughs> Which is not the way the story usually ends. It seems an awful lot more like, instead of our, all of the random ideas like geopolitical peace or maybe a wonderful little calm, tranquil, quiet moment as a as the millennials would say, 
the serotonin levels are good because so many of us are now on anxiety meds. We casually use the word serotonin in conversation because that's not annoying. The, it seems like here, the peace Jesus is talking about is being at peace with God. There's a wonderful, there's a wonderful quote from A.W. Tozer that says the same thing, that it took him a long time to figure out that the peace of Christ is actually being at peace with the Father. And sometimes the peace of the Father and being at peace with Him and that peace that Christ has and the same peace that He promises us is not terribly pleasant and it's not particularly calm sometimes it is sometimes whenever you pray I can't handle this anymore God please take it from me and make life calm for a little while he does because he's a good God and he loves to bless us so sometimes the cup is taken and life is just calm for a while and if you're in a good calm season God bless you. Just drink it in while you got it. Just every second of it, just drink it in and be glad it's there. Because there are other times where it looks like this. Where you genuinely have no idea where to go other than to just pray or to maybe just read your word. And you ask, God, can you take this away from me? And sometimes the answer isn't what we like. Because sometimes the answer we get is God strengthening us. For whatever it is he's calling you to do. Now thankfully, uh, it's not to be crucified for the entire world. Because I don't think any of us could do that. But all of the things that we bear in our individual lives, they're relative. So what might be heartbreaking for you might be a little bit easier for somebody else, but that's fine because God knows your heart and he knows if you're in agony. And in the moments where you want it to be gone and it's not gone, like being a full-grown man, having a severe moment of weakness, crying on the shower floor uh, because you can't stop feeling like you're going to die for no reason, And you ask, can this go away? And sometimes it doesn't. But what we see is that he will, even if he leaves you with the cup for a while, he will strengthen you to carry the cup. Because he's shown you how. And the last thing he told his disciples was, I am with you always. Because what Jesus did when he died and rose again for you and for all of the world and to the glory of God was he now made it possible for you to come into God's presence again. And we, all, we always think, well, whenever we're in God's presence, because God's everywhere. God sees everything. He's God, of course. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit, if you're his, is in you. 
He has taken you as a person and carved you out from the world as a little bit of sacred space. And he says, I live here. And even though sometimes that sacred space can feel under turmoil and chaotic, God doesn't seed ground. So when he's got you, he's got you. And you're his sacred space. And he'll give you strength. And Jesus' response to that answer was to pray even more. So, how, how, do we, how do we deal with this? How do we walk with this in life? Well, the best thing we can do is just follow Jesus' example. Because that's all the, the, the only answer any of us preaching have for you. Follow Jesus' example. Just do what he does. It's that easy, guys. That's right. It's simple. But he went in and asked, approaching his father, knowing that God is good, will you take this from me? And the prayer was very open-handed of will you because it's ultimately whatever you want to have happen in my life, which is a hard prayer to pray. Honestly, if you're being honest with yourself, that's hard to add that last little bit of the sentence, but your will be done. And if you're thinking it and you're praying it and you're trying to pray it, just say it out loud because that's even harder to speak it out loud before God. And whenever he gets his answer, which is a hard answer, God strengthens him. And so in response to the strength, he prays more. So how do we, if, how do we find and live out the peace of Jesus? Well, first, you, you should seek God's face like Jesus did. Go to him. Because the world can offer you something. It can do things that are nice. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Like, if you need something to physically help you in this world, go get it. If you need a therapist, go talk to one. If you don't know where to find one, somebody here on staff will help you find one. If you need to go talk to your doctor because you might legitimately need a little bit of medicine every once in a while that helps, go take some. It's okay. God made pharmacists for a reason. They're good at their jobs. They've found all kinds of magical things to make a bunch of the diseases in the world go away. And we should be happy for that and not shun it. Because that's a gift of God. Sometimes, you know, it, it's doing something that relaxes you. And that's great. That's awesome. I'm not belittling any of those things. This won't make the panic go away forever. And the tenth time watching, like, The Office or Friends through because it makes me happy or whatever to calm me down or playing whatever your favorite video game is or reading your favorite book or talking to your favorite person or hearing the little social media dings on your phone. They might calm you down, but they don't give you eternal peace. They might be good, but they don't really, really bless you the way God intended So seek his face for eternal peace. And sometimes that's hard. Because even whenever Jesus sought his father's face, when he got a hard answer, God strengthened him with the presence of another, with an angel to minister him and to comfort him. So God might very well send you an angel if he does. That's cool. Tell me about it. That'd be an interesting story to hear. If he doesn't, that's okay too. Because he gave you the church. So sometimes seeking his face in our weakness isn't going to be enough. So he surrounded you with more of himself inside of other people to help share the burden with you. So when the Prince of Peace came, it's, we're going to read... Uh, I'm going to read from Isaiah real quick. This is, this is the way Jesus was talked about when he was prophesied. I'm certainly very familiar with this passage. This is in Isaiah chapter 9. 
It says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That the two things that the Messiah will do for the, all eternity is to increase his kingship and to make peace eternal. So that at no point from now until kingdom come are you ever out of sync with your father. You are always at peace with God. And in that peace, God will strengthen you for hard times. He'll give you plenty of good. I don't want you to feel like, don't hear what I'm not saying. Christians aren't to be like a weepy, masochistic group of people who never feel joy and we're always bitter and like flagellating or, or what. That's not what I'm saying. God gives you good moments to, because he loves you and wants to bless you. But when you're praying and you're in agony, he is with you and he will strengthen you. And if that's hard, seek his face. And if it's still hard, seek out the church because we'll be here to help you bear that load. So this morning, in our time of response, if the band wants to come up, we're going to continue to sing about peace. And during the Christmas season, we can help relate ourselves to what these ancient people might have felt waiting on the Messiah. Now we have the benefit of already being at peace with our Father, knowing what the Prince of Peace has for us, but sometimes we still have to wait for what that peace ultimately will bring to fruition in our lives. And so for this season, if you're still waiting to figure out what your very stressful peace has for you and what God is actually calling you to do with that agony, then we'll pray about it and we'll seek his face together. And if you're in a good season, then come up here and pray with somebody who's in agony because maybe a little bit of your joy can bless them. And so I'm going to uh, volunteer the other pastors uh, while I'm helping with response if they don't mind coming up. and help. If anybody wants to pray with a pastor, we got two others. I want to put you all on the spot if that's okay. They're looking at me very confused. Um... They can be there to pray with you. We have a handful of people that regularly go around the room to pray. Go and pray with them if you need. You can also just sit in your chair if you would like and talk to your father and commune with him. He loves to talk with you. And he loves it when you're in his presence. So just take this moment this morning to work out your peace with God. Whatever that looks like. And we're here for you if you need it. I want to pray for you all real quick before response. Father God, thank you for this morning, uh, for this chance to examine your peace. 
and to help maybe bring some calm and a sigh of relief if we don't feel particularly calm, knowing that our internal chaos is not a sign of your absence or any sort of failure, that you're not angry with us, but that you're here to bring us eternal peace and to be one with you. I pray if anybody in this room is having a wonderful Christmas season that is peaceful and tranquil and calm, I would pray that you would keep blessing them with peace and tranquility and calm. And I pray for anybody in this room that if their Christmas is a bit more painful or whatever it is in this chapter of life is particularly hard to carry, that you would give them strength and that your spirit would encourage them to seek your face and to seek out your body. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing. Stand with us.